0: Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map Food Editor Eric Sandler.
1: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map Food Editor Eric Sandler. We have Chris Shepard and Nick Fine from One Fifth Romance Languages coming up in a little bit, but first I am joined by my co-host for this week, Nathan Ketchum, a local restaurant consultant and a good friend. Nathan, welcome back. How are you?
2: I'm I'm doing all right. How are you?
1: I'm good. It's good to have you. Let's just dive right into the news of the week. Um, not strictly a restaurant-related topic, but it was far and away the most popular article on Culture Map last week. The news that a Poker Club has opened in Houston. The Post Oak Poker Club has replaced Moe's, a place for stakes, right in the heart of the Galleria, right on Post Oak. And the premise is that since it is a members-only establishment that plays by a specific set of rules so that no one can cheat and that the business does not take any money from the money being gambled, that is, there's no rake, that it can legally operate a public place to play real poker, live poker for real money in the heart of Houston at a place where gambling would otherwise be prohibited. This is controversial. There are people who say that there's no way that this is legal or should be legal, but similar concepts have been operating in Austin for the last couple of years. So at least until... The Harris County district attorney's office weighs in. This is open and operating and presumed to be legal until someone tells me otherwise. Nathan, are you intrigued by the idea of playing poker in public?
2: You know, I'm not a, I'm not really a poker player, um, but I'd go give it a try at least once. This is Texas. Everyone's got at least one or two friends that are absolutely obsessed with poker. I think it's a fun story. I think it's really interesting. I love that it's really controversial. It's just kind of a fun thing.
1: Yeah, there's a somewhat mysterious organization that popped up on social media, Stop Illegal Gambling Houston, or SI. It's been very active on social media, very active in the Culture Map comment section, explaining all the reasons they don't think this is legal, but that is their opinion. And until a court rules otherwise, you can gamble... You can only play poker. Now the key is that games like craps or roulette or slot machines where money goes to the house, that is clearly very much illegal. This place is operating under rules that protect private games in places like country clubs, but it's not free. Obviously they charge a membership fee, a membership application fee, and then a chair rental fee of $7 and 50 cents for every 30 minutes. Which means that you are going to have to play a lot of pots. You're going to have to be very active. You can't just sit and grind waiting for a pot because it's going to, that 750 is going to cut into your winnings pretty quickly, I would think. But the good news is they're playing a variety of different poker games. They're playing Omaha on Wednesdays, mostly no limit. But if you can find a table full of people that want to play Raz or Stud or High Low, like they're ready for you. So, I'm intrigued by this. I am not a good poker player as a uh, few friends who have watched me play and lose at poker will be happy to testify to you. But, you know, I am intrigued. I think, you know, 50, 100 bucks, like instead of going out for a nice meal on this paycheck, maybe I'm going to go lose some money at the postdoc poker club.
2: Yeah. Are they selling food and alcohol?
1: Yes. They so. Yes, I should. I should clarify. Yes, they have a kitchen, right? It's a restaurant space. So they have a kitchen, mostly sandwiches, some snacks a surprisingly solid green chili queso, which I know is, is a personal favorite of yours. Um, burger was okay. Pulled pork was not good. But all that stuff can be tweaked. They don't have a liquor license yet, so it's BYOB. If you bring a bottle of alcohol, they will charge you a setup so that you can make you know, a martini or a margarita or whatever. And then beer and wine, it's priced a little bit differently. That's all on their website. But certainly... And, and it's cigar friendly. The, the patio is, is open for cigar smoking. When the weather cools off a little bit, they want to have poker tables out on the patio so that you can smoke a cigar and gamble at the same time, which sounds pretty good to me. They have the lease through May. So, it, so it's going to be at least around for as long as that, hopefully. I don't know. I'm ready to, I'm ready to lose some money playing poker. How about you?
2: Yeah, it's uh it sounds fun. Um, I mean, I'd love to see the business plan. Moses is a pretty huge, was a pretty huge restaurant. It's a lot of chairs to rent, a lot of uh seven fifty per hour to bring in. But of course, you have to fill it up.
1: Yeah, they have filled the dining. Well, so the the dining room is full of poker player is full of poker tables. The private dining room is now a high limit room, and then the area near the bar is a lounge where people can just sort of eat and have a drink, and but everyone because of the private club requirements of the law to let them be operate legally everyone who walks through the door has to file a membership application and pay at least the daily membership fee of $15 there's also a monthly membership fee of $150 but it seems to me like going 10 or more times a month is playing a lot more poker than I will ever play so I don't know I don't have a good take on what the prospects are for the monthly memberships, although they say that they're selling a few of them.
2: Yeah, I've, I've had friends that played online poker for hours a day, so I don't know, you know, what that type of situation is. But are there other membership requirements? Well, like country clubs have specific requirements, you know?
1: No, and and that is maybe the crux of the criticism from the people who think that it might not be legal, is that the mem- the membership requirement is essentially have a valid Texas ID and pay the membership fee. So whether the post Oak poker club truly counts as a private space in the same way that a country club is with its various application requirements and higher entrance fees, that's one of those kind of tricky things. But then, you know, Heights restaurants that operate in the dry area on a club license don't even charge a membership fee to be a member of their quote unquote club. You just swipe your driver's license and somehow that's okay. So if that's okay for alcohol, I'm not sure why it wouldn't be okay for poker. But again, I'm not, I'm certainly not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I don't, I don't have the authority to have those opinions, but it it certainly seems like someone's going to, someone's going to test this. Although I can't imagine that it hasn't been tested in Austin. Maybe Austin's just more ready to shuffle up and deal than Houston is.
2: Yeah, we can have much, uh, Stronger opinions when we're not being recorded, and people can throw it back in their face.
1: <laughs> well, ultimately, whether I think it's legal or not doesn't really matter. It's, it. They don't. I don't get a vote.
2: Yeah. All
1: right. Well, let's move on to something that that we do have a little more authority on. Downtown's next food hall is starting to take shape. This is going to be located at the Chase Bank Building at Main and Rusk. It's a historic building from 1929. And they have named the food hall after Alfred Finn, who is the building's architect. It's got this great Art Deco look. They're going to preserve that 20,000 square feet, 10 chef-driven, according to their information that they provided to me, food stands with uh, a bar, 500 seats, and a bar that serves beer cocktails and wine, and then a second-story bar on the mezzanine is more of a refined cocktail oriented experience where you can have servers, bring you food from the food halls. They're not ready to talk about what, who they're talking to. They're not ready to announce who's going to open in this, but it sounds like it's a mix of food truck operators, established restaurateurs. The Houston Chronicle reported that Mala is one of the possibilities. That's intriguing. Nathan, I know you like to visit food halls when you travel. Houston has a sort of limited food hall and conservatory. It's got four or five culinary concepts plus beer plus a new wine bar. But this feels kind of next level to me.
2: Yeah, it's a interesting interesting idea. The location has some, some strong pluses, a few strong minuses. Um, it's definitely a, a better option than conservatory. Uh, the location is considerably better. The fact that it's above ground is, gives it a lot of, a lot of pluses. It's also connected to the tunnels, which for the operators is going to be something that's going to drive their businesses. They could, if there's 10 really great operators in there, they could make their bones solely on lunches, being connected to the tunnels and being in downtown. And then they can make their money with breakfast and, and dinner, um, it, it could be a really cool, cool area. Um, it's probably not the greatest thing that they're they're not super close to the convention center and those hotels over there. But at the same time, if they're really great restaurants, that's not going to matter because they're, they're not that far of a walk away. Um, and they're also not that, I mean, it's a $5 Uber ride.
1: Well, and the good news is Rusk is on the East-West yeah, the rail line. line. So that will certainly help. Breakfast is an important component of this. Tunnel access is a really important component of this. And the mix. Some sort of raw fish, whether sushi or poke. Something, certainly a Mexican component. Certainly a seafood. That's what they've promised. It'd be cool if there was like an oyster bar. That'd be really fun. I'm still holding out for, yeah. Late night sushi has a lot of appeal to me. We don't really have that in Houston. There's just a lot of possibilities for who could be going in there and what they could be doing. Also the idea that existing Houston restaurateurs could be doing spin-off concepts, that's appealing to me. I think it's really going to come down to who they've signed, who's opening in Fin
2: Hall. Yeah, it's going to come down to what they're charging rent for their stalls, whether the operators are willing to take a little little more crazy rent risks and things like that. The I'm, I'm excited that they're kind of keeping the, the grandness of the, the space with the, you know, hopefully they're keeping all the marble walls and all the beautiful openness of the, the Chase Tower. Uh, it's always been one of my favorite buildings. Even when you're in the tunnels underneath Chase Tower, it has this kind of grandiose kind of beautifulness to it. And it's, it's a really fun area.
1: Have you heard any rumors about who else is kicking the tires on this?
2: Uh, not really. um there's been a lot of rumors about food halls around town over the past year or so. Um, I know I personally believe that the um uh, the greenway uh they just need to go ahead and become a food hall with uh rice box and Greenway coffee and um our beloved burger chan uh, Burger chan and then you know possibility of X to come.
1: Yes, the possibility of a, a high profile barbecue concept, maybe. Yeah. That would be intriguing. But and then there's there's rumors floating about one in Rice Village that I've people keep swearing to me is happening, but I've never been able to get even any sort of faint remote confirmation from from them about. But this certainly downtown feels like the right kind of location. Rail access, tunnel access, that feels right to me. Breakfast, lunch and dinner. All seems like a good idea. It could be also a happy hour spot, you know, after work. A lot of intriguing possibilities there. Definitely something that we will be tracking, but not really expected to come to fruition until February, March.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with the Oyster. If they, can, if they can really try to keep the soul of Houston in it. Um, and you know what? I I've, I've just would love a late night diner with really good food. That's a personal thing. Uh, that would be great.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't really have that. No disrespect to, well, not centrally located. I mean, i have a I have a deep affection for Dot Coffee Shop, and and after several beers, cats always seems like a better idea than I think it is when I'm sober. But a really high quality late night diner concept would be a lot of fun, especially downtown with all the other bars and all the other everything else that goes on down there.
2: Yeah, downtown needs to up its late-night food by exponential amounts. All right,
1: let us move on. Item number three, Jim Buchanan, a pit master that we know well who has been instrumental to building Papa Charlie's Barbecue from Trailer to Brick-and-Mortar Restaurant, has announced that he's going out on his own. He is going to open... He's taking over the food program at Lucky's Pub in the Heights, which will be rebranded the White Oak Beer Garden. That's all courtesy of Houston Food Finder. I don't quite know where to start with this. I just feel like there's been a lot of bar type places with good food that have opened in and around the Heights recently. I feel like there's a lot of barbecue in the Heights right now. I like Jim. He makes good food. I'm intrigued by this, but I'm a little bit concerned.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting move uh, on both parts to to do barbecue to n- do another beer house when there's God knows how many in the heights right now, and they're all brand new. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting.
1: Yeah, and. But it's going to happen really soon. I mean, Jim is targeting end of the month, early September to be up and running. He's calling it, I think he's calling it Bucks after his grandfather, kind of taking a page from the Papa Charlie's playbook. One of the things I really like about Papa Charlie's is how innovative it is, that they're always willing to mix in, you know, Korean or Vietnamese or Indian flavors to what they do. I know Jim's been a part of that. They were fooling around with a butterfinger crusted brisket a couple of months ago that I didn't get the chance to try, but I had a couple of people swear to me it was delicious. So doing that kind of barbecue that's not just traditional central Texas market style barbecue at lunch, maybe bar bites, smoked items at, at dinner or for late night. I mean, that all feels like a pretty good fit. It just seems like what, Lucky's Heights is trying to do by turning into another outdoor beer garden when it's gonna to have to compete with DT Drive In, Heights Beer Garden, King's Beer House, and probably Eight Row Flint to a certain extent, and probably other places I can't think of off the top of my head, just just feels like a tough road to hoe.
2: I mean, if you have the gall to announce that you're gonna be an outdoor beer garden when it's a hundred degrees outside, I, I guess you can you're probably pretty confident in it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the weather hasn't really slowed down. Places like Axelrad or Kirby Ice House that have drawn very solid crowds uh, for over a year now and bring people in. And, and it's a nice space. It's right on the bayou. It's very close to White Oak Music Hall. Makes it a compelling either before or after concert destination. Of course, Huey's Heights just opened up. That's another craft beer spot with its companion bar, the One-Armed Scissor. A lot going on in that part of the city. More to come. It's not slowing down. Wish Jim a lot of success. Can't wait to hear the details on some of these plans. Just feeling a little bit nervous for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a really nice guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see his food unedited without the the Papa Charlie's effect. Um, it'll be really cool. I, I think he'll probably have success, at least on the barbecue side. Uh, whether or not there'll be kind of a domino effect of too many beer houses, beer gardens, outdoor bars, just overall in the Houston area, I'm not really sure. Craft beer is so popular right now. Um, I th- I think it's got a little ways to go before we have that that kind of crashing effect. But
1: the, the craft beer bubble is not about to burst?
2: Not yet. Not in Houston. Right. You look at places like Portland when you can't walk 10 feet without finding a craft beer bar and it hasn't burst there yet of course everybody in Portland brews craft beer in their, in their garage at the same time too so right I guess that it's part works.
1: of it it's like a hipster lifestyle kit. Okay, you get a corncob pipe and a homebrew
2: kit yeah it's part of your move-in kit
1: all right let's, uh, let's put a pin in the news of the week I want to stretch out the restaurants of the week a little bit we have quite a bit to talk about so we'll be right back
0: you're listening to What's Eric
1: eating? So for our restaurants of the week, we have a couple of different places to talk about, starting with Pizarro's, uh, Pizarro's Pizza Napolitano, which one of these days may have to change its name because it's not just Neapolitan style pizza anymore. They rolled out Detroit style pizza about a year ago, which is a deep dish squared off pie with a rim of burnt cheddar cheese around the sides, which makes it which sounds kind of terrible when I say it like that but means the crust tastes like Cheez-Its, which I find unbelievably addictive. And then last week, they rolled out New York-style pizza, which is kind of what people think about when they say, I want a pizza. 16-inch pie, lots of toppings, foldable slices. You can pick it up, eat it with your hands, no problem. Everything's cooked. We tried this together and had a pretty good experience. What do you think of New York-style pizza at Pizarro's?
2: I rather enjoy it. I enjoy it enough that I've already gone back and uh, gotten a pepperoni pizza with my wife. So, And uh, for the first time ever, even after they, had a- they announced the Detroit pizza, for the first time ever, I went with my wife and I did not get the Neapolitan Fino pizza. This is the first time that I, I did not get my favorite pizza on the menu, and I actually got the, the New York pizza instead, and it was delicious
1: yeah i'm I'm all in on this. I have also gone back since our tasting and and actually paid for one of these with another friend of ours. I wanted it to be it it had good browning on the top. it had really nice crust bubbles. It was just a little bit too soft to like pick up the whole slice, so I feel like that's just a little bit of a consistency tweak I want them to make, but the toppings are great. Flavors are good. The crust is flavorful, really delicious, good, good chew. I'm excited about this. I feel like it's going to be really popular for them.
2: Oh, yeah. Mine was a nice, nice, foldable, beautiful brown, kind of some char bubble with greasy. Oh, it was very tasty pizza.
1: Yeah. And they were busy on Sunday night. I guess a lot of people wanted pizza before Game of Thrones. I'm taking partial credit for
2: making them busier. Yeah. Feel free with it take that
1: thank you and i will all right we also (laughs) went up to the woodlands last week to try fielding's rooster we had carrie atar and chef uh edel gonsalves on to talk about that concept recently this is a uh i mean for lack of a better word a a chicken obsessed restaurant in the heart of the woodlands we had piri piri spicy roasted chicken in a piri piri sauce we had two different kinds of fried chicken. Tennessee-style hot chicken and also traditional southern fried chicken. We also had roasted chicken. They have a big wood-burning rotisserie right next to the entrance so you get that smell of the smoke, and you can watch the chickens turning right as you walk in the door. We had good sides. We had Brussels sprouts. We had we had a chicken liver mousse that was maybe the best thing we ate that night. What do you think about Fielding's rooster? You know the woodlands better than I do. Is this a concept that you would drive to Houston for or from Houston to try?
2: I think it's more of a neighborhood concept for sure. Um, I don't think I would drive 30 miles to go eat there, um, but it, it was good. The Piri peri chicken especially and the chicken liver mousse were the two the two things that I would crave on a regular occasion. If, if the... Villains Rooster was in Houston. Anywhere in the loop, I would find myself going there. The only question mark I have on the concept is they're buying uh, the thin skin Amish chicken uh, from D'Artagnan. Uh, so I have a question mark. Uh, we went on a friends and family visit, so we uh, we didn't receive a bill. So I don't know the we pricing.
1: Think- Right, we didn't receive a bill, and the draft menu they handed us didn't have prices on it, so we don't we don't actually know what any of this is going to cost. What would you expect to pay for a half chicken at Fielding's Rooster? I, I suspect it's going to be somewhere in that sixteen to twenty range.
2: I, I would think that the the standard mesquite, mesquite smoked rotisserie would be sixteen bucks. Um, the fried maybe a little bit more. If it's more than that, then we're, then we're getting into a little bit of trouble territory. In the woodlands, they can probably get away with it. Uh, it's a little bit of bubble. People are affluent. They pay for things. In Houston, I don't think it would go over well.
1: Yeah, I don't really think there's a concept quite like this in Houston because they also had Kung Pao chicken wings. They had an Indian-style butter chicken. They had chicken and waffles. I want this in somewhere inside the loop. I'm not. I'm not necessarily driving to the woodlands for this, but based on our first visit, I would like this inside the loop.
2: Yeah, if this was in the loop, I would. This would be in my regular rotation of restaurants I would go to with my wife just to eat dinner. Um, the chicken liver mousse was outstanding.
1: Yeah, and we talked with it all about his Michelin training. It really comes to bear in that dish specifically. It's like a little taste of France on Research Forest Boulevard.
2: Yeah, uh, the the cornbread was actually pretty close to outstanding too. It wasn't really cornbread as much as it was bread with butter already so much baked butter. already baked into the bread, but it was fantastic. Just covered with this really fantastic honey. All
1: right, and then our last restaurant of the week, I, I just want to discuss this briefly because we went back to Latab at at the restaurant's invitation, which means they bought our dinner. They wanted us to try a new steak that they put on the menu. It's a 40-plus ounce hunk of Texas Akahushi ribeye. They marinate it in cognac for 24 hours. Then they sear it. They baste it in a pan in butter. They put it under a broiler to give it a crust. And then they flambe it tableside. It's one of the most decadent steaks I think I've ever eaten. One of the most delicious pieces of red meat I've had in a long time. It's $180. It feeds at least two hungry people, especially if you indulge in some sides. Nathan, I, I I think you agree with me that the steak was delicious. What I really want to know is, where do you rank? Is, is La Latob very quietly, one of the best restaurants in Houston?
2: I think it's easily one of the, at minimum, top 10 restaurants in the Houston. Maybe higher. Really depends on how you do your ranking. But they they have this kind of old fashion style of food but they do modernize it and then the their technique driven uh they have these chefs in from from new york with kind of just killer training their pastry program has got to be the best in the city uh with otto sanchez running it who has just a background that's fascinating man yeah to yeah with 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 me stopping rambling, yes. Yes, it is.
1: Was the, would you pay, we didn't we didn't pay, but would you pay $180 for that steak?
2: I would. Um, it's kind of like a dinner and a show. They bring it out. They cut it. Well, before they cut it, they throw a bunch of flaming cognac on it, which is fun. They have several different um, table-side carvings. They carve a $80 chicken, which, yes, $80 chicken, but it is worth it. I have paid for it. It is worth it. Go spend $80 on a chicken at La they
1: also They also have a rack of lamb. And it really is all about their maitre d' uh, Valerio Lombardazi. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. My, my apologies if I got that wrong. But he is such a dynamic presence in the dining room. He really understands that theatrical element of kind of giving you a show with your meal. It makes La Table just a wonderful place. Especially for a special occasion, especially for a date night, um, and it's just—it's just a very comfortable room. The, the tables aren't, the tables are nice and far apart. You can have a private conversation. It's very comfortable. They have a, a wonderful sommelier and, and Michael Pelletier. It's just a—it's a really pleasant place to enjoy a
2: meal. Yeah, the service is easily up there in the top three restaurants in the entire city um valerio you know real white glove service with literal white gloves Little white gloves yes
1: truffle shave table side all that good stuff all right we're going to put a pin on that i think i hear chris shepherd at the door nathan thank you very much we will follow you on twitter and instagram at h-town food junkie stick around i'll be right back with chris shepherd and nick fine from one fifth
0: you're listening to what's eric eating
1: Our interview this week is brought to you by our sponsor, 8th Wonder Brewery, a locally owned brewery, right located right in East Downtown. What I like about 8th Wonder is that they pay homage to Houston's history, the Astrodome, the 8th Wonder of the world. Their beers are Houston-focused. They're designed for the local palate. And they like the brand itself. They pay tribute to... Houston's history, so they just have a new Hefeweizen that just won a a gold medal at a recent beer competition. It's called Weistheimer after Westheimer. They have the Dome Foam that harken back to those bygone days of sitting at the Astrodome having a cold beer, but this is a beer that actually has flavor and it's pleasant to drink. And of course, the nice thing about 8th Wonder is that you can go to their brewery in East downtown. It's very conveniently located. It's the perfect place to go before... A Dynamo game or an Astros game, you can have a bite to eat from the Ichi Boys food truck that's always there, and have a couple of beers. Maybe a maybe a Dome Foam, maybe a, a Haterade. Their Goza that I find very refreshing because it's got a little bit of tartness to it. Or you can you can sit for something a little heavier: the Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter, or the IPA. Their new Double IPA that's got 88 IBUs. That nice bitter kick that all you. Beer people really love. So thank you to 8th Wonder. Interview is up next. I'm joined this week by Chris Shepard and Nick Fine, the chef owner and chef de cuisine, respectively, of One-Fifth. One-Fifth's first incarnation as a steakhouse is closed. One-Fifth's second incarnation as One-Fifth Romance Languages, specializing in Italian, French, and Spanish fare Open September 1st. Gentlemen, I'm going to do this one at a time so people can hear your voices. Nick, how are you?
0: Great, sir. How are you?
1: I'm very good. It's nice to have you here. Chris, what's going on? Not much, man. Thanks for having us on. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Um, Nick, I want to start with you. This is kind of your first time. You've been a sous chef. You worked at Brennan's. You worked at State of Grace. You you have a, a very solid resume, but this is your first time kind of running a kitchen you're after the first uh, six seven months of one fifth what was that experience like for you
0: well we're pretty spoiled at one fifth is that we have some of the best cooks in Houston in my opinion so it's less of running the kitchen it's just kind of keeping some of the best people kind of motivated and and it's kind of like having a superstar basketball team, you know what I mean? And kind of walking down the the halls and listening to all the sports commentators makes me kind of think of, you know, those great managers that they didn't really have to do much, just make sure everybody else did what they were supposed to do. So that's kind of how I feel at One-Fifth. I'm pretty lucky. Um, but it was super fun. first year was really, really neat.
1: And then, Chris, I want to ask you a question that you asked me when I had my last meal at One-Fifth Steak. you going to miss it? Do you miss the steakhouse? Uh, y- yeah, I mean –
3: it, it's, it's like seeing something grow, you know, and then you you get rid of it. You know, you move <laughs> on to the next thing and it's, yeah, you miss it. And I'll miss it. But um, I'm more excited about each endeavor that we do, you know. So I think that um, just as much as we put into One-Fifth Steak, um, I, I feel like we'll, we're putting even more into this one because, um, you know, a steakhouse is fun, but it's it's technique and it's product. And and you apply heat in certain aspects and you cook it perfectly and it's done. Right. Um, Which is pretty much food in general. But I think with this one, it's more there's a lot more thought process and and it's more perplexing as far as conversations go.
1: So. So many doors I want to I want to walk through with that, but let's let's let I, I want to keep it kind of kind of logically progress. How did you decide on the name Romance Languages, and why did that make sense as the second version of one film? <laughs>
3: That's all Lindsay. Um, that was, you know, I, I had said, hey, I would like to maybe think about this Four Corners idea. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I'd like to focus on the Four Corners of Texas. And she was like, and that doesn't really push you. Um, you. You understand a lot of that, but the one thing that you've always said that you don't know is Italian. And we're all classically trained French. And then Catalan was kind of the pseudo, you know, made me look at Spain a little bit. But it was uh, Italian. I just I don't I didn't have any knowledge of, you know, people spend their entire lives working on just that. And and I've given it like 20 minutes in the past, you know, and now it's like actually trying to look into it, understand it. So, um, yeah, that was it was just to challenge us, I think, and challenge me personally um, to understand a culture. That I'd, I've never really looked at.
1: And I know you traveled to Italy this summer. What was that experience like?
3: It was amazing. Um, it, it really showed me that Italian food is based on ingredient and simplicity and uh, really just doing it correctly, you know, whatever it may be, whether it be making a pasta or whether it be making a, a pizza or a roast or whatever. It was, I wanted to understand that Italy was more than than pizza and pasta, and um, I wanted to learn the people and see the people and see what food they were doing, and so I really got a good hold of that. I don't think you could ever—actually, I shouldn't say a good hold. I think I got a, just a snippet of what that's about. You got a whiff of it. Yeah, just a whiff, because the rest of it, you know, you could spend years traveling that, that, that great country and, and learning that cuisine.
1: So— Nick, where would you say you are in developing the recipes for (laughs) one fifth rum? (laughs) Um,
0: I've learned so far through this with Chris is when they opened Underbelly. Apparently, the day Underbelly opened, they were sitting writing menus for that day. So for me to be able to get Chris to like at least we have some conversations and we've got you know maybe an idea or two written down, we are. Man, we're way further than we were at one <laughs> fist steak. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're a ways away. We got some ideas written on paper, and actually, we we are in the kitchen right now. Like we just got in some product, and we're just gonna start cooking some stuff and seeing if it works. But yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be ever evolving. I think the this, day we this
3: this will change a lot more than one yeah. fist steak did. One fist steak, the menu was kind of s- set, and and it went. And this is. This one is there's so many different um, things you can look at and so many products you can play with and so many different techniques you can use that it's going to be an ever-changing menu.
0: Yeah, I think we. I think. one day he was like, all right, write down some ideas. And we both came back the next day and I think I had 150 ideas written on paper. He had 150 and we're like, uh, how are we going to put this into a menu?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really like, I don't even know where you start. I mean, right? I mean, Spanish cuisine you know, paella, all kinds of seafood dishes, anchovies, tapas-style appetizers. I mean, the, the then kick over to French, and it's like, well, you could do, like, super classic, like, beef bourguignon or, uh, you know, duck or, or... But
3: it's how do you do all that and make it really interesting at the same time. Right. And not not get away from what the culture of that is.
0: But it's funny, like, as you said, like, it was those days where you we would go in and be like, all right, let's think of Spanish stuff. And then for the next couple of days, all I would write out would be like cool Spanish ideas. And then it would be like, oh, man, I just cracked open a, a French cookbook. And it's like the next three or four days are all French ideas. And you're like, oh, my God, how are we going to do all three of these in one connotation? So it is kind of at that point where we're like, instead of coming up with ideas, I think it's like, we're getting some ideas on the chopping block. Like, all right, that idea didn't work. That's hopefully it's what we're narrowing down. Is like,
1: so, so, what's something that you're just like, this is cool, but we we don't have time for this. We're not going to do it. <laughs> I don't
0: know. There's a lot. Um, I, we we've
3: we've gone through. I mean, like you said, we each came back with 150 things, and a lot of them were just like, what the hell was I
0: thinking? You know, or you know, and it's it's. Caviar cart services was like a yeah, cool idea. No, and then it was like, no. I've found snail caviar. And it was like, can you do snail caviar? <laughs> is, that, is that legal? Yeah, I, it is, apparently. And yeah. then I wanted to do it with Miller High Life, and everyone was like, that's a horrible idea.
1: <laughs> well, that that is... I mean, High Life is on the champagne cart <laughs> That's TNT. what I was yeah. saying. So, oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's
0: brilliant. Yeah, so... Well, you know, they are. Those guys they have are. already... They're already doing that. Oh, see? Yeah. We yeah. already have that Scratch one on the block. Scratch that
4: before you
1: started. <laughs> um, But... I think the the one thing that that I've heard from people is, you know, the baller board was such a signature of the steakhouse. Is that is that dead with the steakhouse, or do yeah. you expect to? It's, it's dead. dead.
0: It's dead, and that's kind of what is amazing about one fifth. Is like you asked him, "Are you going to miss one fifth steak?" And it really is. It's amazing to think of. We built a restaurant for seven months, and we came up with all these great ideas. So the hardest part is for us being able to take all these ideas and having to throw them completely away because we don't want somebody to come in and be like, oh, they just did the same thing. They just used some different ingredients. So being able to be like, it's really like, I even have goosebumps thinking about starting completely over because it is, it's taking an idea that was pretty successful like the baller board and being like, nope. We have to think of something different.
1: But there will be family style entrees.
0: There will be. Yeah. 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 I th- I'm, as of now, we're thinking of like two. some large format items and some, you know, we've thrown the idea of, and it's not going to work, but like I would love for you to be able to sit down and do like a tapas style. But, you know, how do you work that into a situation? Like that's what's kind of fun about where we're at with being two weeks away is how do we get to have <laughs> how Jeez. we like to eat to um, being able to make it a real restaurant and the thing is it's like we,
3: we we really talked a lot about it and it's like you get to the point where you're just you're overthinking it yeah and it's like at the end of the day you have to really stick to what we do and it has to be fun and enjoyable and like a different experience than what you what you're used to and and that's that's the goal you know is to 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 challenge us but to also challenge our guests and and make it make sense and that's that's the fun part of it.
1: So I know you, you don't want to give too much away, but... Nope. <laughs> what, like, what... Is there, like, one dish where you're like, we definitely are going to put our spin on this thing? I mean, you posted <laughs> a picture of a gigantic paella pan. So it seems like that's probably...
3: <laughs> Cast iron paella is always... Uh, you know, Ryan Pear did this one night at his house, and I was like, man, this is brilliant. I, like, I am completely you know the texture of what a cast iron pan brings to it is fantastic and it's just a great vessel so and we got all these cast irons left over from the steakhouse (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we have to use it at some point right um but yeah i mean that'll be one of those things if it works right if it works for service if it's a hour-long pickup then does it make that much sense like i don't want to that's the that's the thing with this is like there's no short steps there's no there's no corners that can be cut yeah. it has to be done perfectly you know the conversations of risotto and and paella and you know roasted meats like they have to be done to order and perfect and you just can't cut corners and so does it how do you how do you build that into a menu to where it is timely and functional right because if I have six giant cast iron pans rocking at once like that for service is really, really tricky. So we kind of, you know, you're walking a fine
1: line. And then what about the look of the space? I mean, I know that's going to change, you know, the staff uniforms are going to change. Where, where
3: are you in that process? It's a in full bore right now. I mean, it's the restaurant's completely cleared out. It looks like we're building a new restaurant and, um, you know, there's guys in there welding right now. They're painting, they're doing all sorts of stuff to it. And it's like, really the only ones that are there are us, you know? And that's just like, we actually had to drag a table in so that we could sit down and have conversations because everything's cleared out.
1: But then, I mean, you have that, that great back bar with all the, the whiskeys and the presents on it. That stays. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, this is what's hard is
0: it's such an iconic building. I think when we started Mm -hmm. this is it's like, you walk in and it will always have that feel. You know what I mean? It, we we move the bars and the bars are going to stay in the same spots, but you know how do you change this? That hopefully you know you walk in and you're like, this is n-, the idea is that it's this is not one fifth steak, and it's not Marks. It's this is a new restaurant, so we're trying to do it just enough that it totally you know as you walk into the space, hopefully we set it up enough that all right, this is a new restaurant.
3: Like well, it's it's the same as when you walked into one fifth steak, and if you'd been to Marks, you're like. It's the building, but it looks totally different. And so it's, we want that same aspect. It's like, it's the building, but it looks totally different.
1: And then do you have a feel for kind of how some of this is going to be priced? I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I sort of have this expectation in my head that it might be a little bit less expensive to dine at One-Fifth Romance Languages versus well, One-Fifth Steak.
3: Well, I mean, when you talk about steak and the price on that, it, it is what it is. Right, because that's that's steakhouse pricing. It's like you, you could never go to a steakhouse and get. Hey, I had a really cheap dinner and it was fantastic. Like that, just those I, two, had, a, I
1: had a prime okay. steak for thirty bucks. Yeah. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so those
3: things, it's like cheap sushi. Like those two things just don't really correlate. They don't go hand in hand, you know. And so, it's all about product. And when we start narrowing down product, it'll just be derivative of that. But I, I can see that it it won't be the same price because you know you're talking about a thirty six ounce bone in ribeye is a cost, yeah, right? Yeah. You can't manipulate that. It is what it is. And so if you're buying the quality, that's just... Or and I
0: want to make sure, because we haven't even talked that much about this too, but the quality of everything that we're going to get at Romance is going to be the really same. High. You know, like yeah. I want it to be... To me, that's the biggest difference between some restaurants is that product, you know what I mean? And and hopefully we stay true to with getting in the best of the best
3: so that, You know, if we do a suckling pig dish, do we really need to get Iberico suckling pigs? Probably not. But can we get something that's farmed or raised here locally that will drop that price in half? Right. You know, but still have a very, you know, precise, conscious dish. Like, yeah, that's, that's how we have to work it now. It's, it's all about technique and, and quality of ingredient that we can find. Yeah.
1: Well, and I, there's certainly some really fun charcuterie possibilities, too, bringing in some of that. Some of the, what you do at Underbelly, maybe incorporating that into the... Not
3: so much, but it's, I mean, because we have to do it all separately. Um, sure.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I don't mean serving it. Yeah, I just mean taking those But finding good, methods,
3: really good charcuterie without building a curing room inside a one-fifth for, you know, it won't be ready anyway. Um, Because <laughs> like, if I wanted to do a ham, well, we're three years out. I probably should have started that a long time ago. <laughs> we probably should have. You know, but um, it's, it's that process of of finding really... And it's something that personally, like we sat down with a supplier today and that's something that I haven't done in eight years, seven years, you know, to sit down with somebody that can bring me ducks and bring me this and bring me that. And not like where it's farmed, you know, 20 minutes from here, like I haven't had that opportunity. So like sitting with suppliers now is like, uh, it baffles my mind, you know?
0: But yeah, I mean, going back to the charcuterie, I do see us, it's something that I love. I think that it's something that, again, is another challenge of how, if we were to do a charcuterie program at One-Fifth, how do we do that different than Underbelly? You know what I mean? Because I, I want to make sure that someone can go to Underbelly on Monday and come to One-Fifth on Tuesday and, and have a completely different dining experience. Mm-hmm. And how do, we be, how, do, how do we challenge not only ourselves, but our guests in doing some new stuff, I, I think charcuterie is a big part of that that cuisine. For the most part,
3: our, the charcuterie at One Fifth will be more of fresh terrines and things like that, yeah. and then we'll be buying dry cured things, um, with hams and what have you. So um, it'll be a mix of both, which is I think how it has to be.
1: Yeah. And then, I guess at least the wine list can sort of persevere, right? That that well, Matthew he's, is... he's
3: got to change all that up too. Oh, Okay. I mean, it definitely has to. And, and he, his palate is that way anyway. With the wine list, I mean, the big steakhouse cabs, I think will kind of, they'll still be there, but they'll not be as prominent as they were. And then you'll move into more of like he's, you know, very much a French, Italian, and Spanish influenced person anyway. So, and there was always a lot of that on our wine list. So it won't change that much, but he has to change more of the focus of sticking to those things.
1: Right, and I, I think maybe in the. You know, and and all the the baller boards and the giant steaks and everything. I, you know, underbelly style wine markup in a steakhouse environment was so refreshing. You could mm-hmm. really treat yourself to that slightly fancier bottle, and you know, I think you know, even French and Spanish restaurants are kind of the same way. Where that that really hasn't that that idea of lower wine markups really hasn't permeated in Houston as much. Well, so, it
3: needs to. Yeah. I mean, I'll go out to places and I'm like,
1: yeah, I'm not.
3: I'll just have a whiskey, thank you, because like I can't afford to drink a lot of these things here, and you know. And so it's like having that. So it's it's you can have that special thing that you've always wanted and not really take out a second mortgage.
1: That's comforting, right? (laughs) We we who pay for the food appreciate that. (laughs) I pay for it too, so I I
3: appreciate it
1: and I know this is like way ahead, but are you already, I mean, you're, you've, you've made some changes at underbelly to make it kind of more seafood oriented for the summer. Are you already thinking about the next version of one fifth? that's going to be a seafood restaurant. <laughs> not a chance in hell. No, <laughs>
3: <laughs> like that's so far down the line. It's just like, you know, it's, it was the one things that we always have talked about. Even when we were doing steak, it was like, well, maybe we should do this. And it's like, No, that's for fish. It's like, all right, you know, and like there's certain things that you don't want to do because of, you know, you want to save that for down the road. But um, we really haven't started talking about fish that much.
0: And I think that being said, like we don't want to save anything for the next ones because I think we'll come up with new ideas later on. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't think there's anything getting held back for romance Mm languages. Like, if we're going to do it, it's why not do it now? (laughs) So here we go.
1: And then, do you think you'll be, I mean, will you be making your own pasta? Will you be... 100%. N-
0: n-
3: yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and, Nick and Nick no. Nick likes to jump on that 100%. I like fresh pasta. I do too, but there's certain things that I really want. I mean, if and like carbonara, just that whole, like my mindset around that, yeah. right? I want to have the right pasta. I want to have the right egg. I want to have the right everything. So that something that is a dish that is so simplistic but is executed properly for me.
1: Well, right. And people who follow you on Instagram have seen the egg pictures. Mm-hmm. You're definitely taking the ingredient sourcing very seriously. Not that I'm
3: surprised. Well, I mean, it's even like down to guanciale. You know, the question was like, well, are you are going to use pancetta? It's like, no, we're going to use guanciale. But like the, there, therein lies the problem of, American butchery versus European butchery, in that like when we break down, so I can buy guanciale, right? But what we buy is stuff where the the the, the cheek is actually removed too, and the cheeks are sold separately instead of like it's still connected into the cheek for guanciale. So we, how do we do that? We make it. You know, that's the only way there is to it. Like we have to figure out a way to make guanciale to have that dish right. Because I don't want to substitute bacon or pancetta for it. I want
1: Right, having had the real version. I want it right. Like, right,
3: and and I think that Nick is the same way, and so is all of our crew. That if it's not right, we just don't do it. You know, because that's how it has to be. We've we've built that up in our own heads, not not so much for the guests, but for ourselves, as for as a point of pride.
1: Yeah. And then I also noticed on Instagram, you posted a couple pictures for your upcoming cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> What's, what's the Last status of that?
3: Uh, uh, just, you know, writing recipes and working through recipes and making sure those things are right too. So, um, you know, yesterday like, I actually went to the grocery store and, like, shopped and, like, okay, I need a grocery list. And it was, you know, I spent way more time than I needed to but um, and then just go home and cook all day and, you know, get home and actually writing down every step that I'm doing And changing the, you know, okay, well, this needs a different flavor profile with this or what have you, and making sure it's right. And so, you know, Lindsay had a a multi
1: course dinner last night. So, are we we finally going to get the secret to the Korean goat and dumplings? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's slated for next year, I guess? Uh, It'll be a
3: year and a half. I mean yep. it's a long process. It's a year of writing and testing and photos and then and once it gets turned in the manuscript gets turned in, then it then it goes to print. And then so um yeah.
1: And then we at Culture Map and I'm sure every other media outlet had a tremendous response to the news about the changes that are coming to the Canino's market. Yeah. Are you just are you starting to hear from people that want to be involved or
3: I am sending that over to um mlb partners and they'll compile the list and then bring it to us but right now it's just it's you know we don't even know how much space that we have you know until they until the architects come back and say okay well this is how the square footage is going to be laid out then that's when we can start to look at it and start to really define what it's going to be um and just make sure that we do it right you know i talk to people all the time about you know what are their next steps or what have you but um some people have reached out and i just kind of forwarded along cuz I, I don't i don't want to get inundated with that you know i want they need to come to me with a, a list of the people that they have and then we'll start weeding through it and find out the perfect mix of what it needs to be because you can't have you know seven po boy producers in one spot or you know five hot dog guys or it just it doesn't make sense it has to be laid out right and that's our that's our job
1: and then Southern book looks like it's really coming together. Third year of that. <laughs> yeah. October, October 22nd. October Tickets are on so sale now. They
3: are. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, every year brings a new challenge and everything. Every year, you know, it's like, how do you make it better? Because, you know, we did the first one just on a on a real shoestring. Every one actually on a shoestring. But it was uh, – we've never done anything like that before. And the first one was great, and the second one was even better, and the third one is going to be even better than that. And it's just – it's like can we do everything. How do you make the next thing better than the first or the one before
1: yeah i think having john beschel help
3: yeah you know he's coming to the city let's welcome welcome him in, open arms you know and having the guys from ordinary and and uh, <laughs> you know fig and ashley's coming back and aaron and, and rodney scott and you know it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a fun one and then the local guys too you know it's, they, they work so hard for this, you know, Justin, you and Seth and Terrence and Ryan, they really last year, I, I you know, I get pulled away, but I'm just going walking over there and just seeing am just sweating it. We got know? worked. <laughs> and it was, and I was like, so live fire, was that a smart decision? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but they, you know, everybody's in for it. You know, everybody wants to make a difference and make a change. And, and, uh, we all want to, you know, at least help find a cure for MS.
1: Yeah. I mean, you raised, Something like two hundred eighty nine thousand dollars last year.
3: Yeah, almost a half a million in two years.
1: Yeah, I mean it's phenomenal.
3: Yeah, it's, the city really comes out for it and really supports, and you know that's one thing that we've always been big on is is community helping community and taking care of our own, and so that's the goal. You know, makes me,
1: you know, a little emotional. <laughs> so, Nick, you're you're running you're running one fifth, you're, you're making the transition to romance languages. What's the most exciting part about, about the new concept for you? Is it, is there, is there one thing that you're really looking forward to with the new or, or, or let me, let me ask this a slightly different way. Is there one thing you're happy you don't have to do anymore now that the steakhouse is gone? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, i tell you having to have the guys cook steak every single day, it, it's monotonous. I am amazed at how hard some of these steakhouses worked. It was my first time ever working in a steakhouse. So, yeah. man, there on a night where you come in and eat at for steak, there was one guy that cooked all those steaks that night. Everything that was in the cast. Everything that was done in the cast iron, one guy did that night. So what I'm most excited about is being able to spread those entrees out a little bit so there's not one guy that's just getting hammered on steaks. But besides that, I mean – these are cuisines that I feel sorry for the hearth guy now. Yeah, this is the hearth guy's gonna just the guy the the does, does the wood fired out. oven. Um, but these are cuisines that when we grow up cooking, you know, I worked at restaurants that were French and Italian. I've never really delved into the Spanish stuff, but um, I've worked with some awesome Italian based chefs. And so, getting back to some of the roots that I've kind of known about about food, I'm really really excited about because that's, I mean, there's some really really amazing things that we can kind of try to accomplish with this one-fifth romance that we were not able to do with one-fifth steak. Because, I mean, we were, we were handcuffed a little bit by having a, a steakhouse, and mm. now this restaurant kind of opens us up to a little bit more creativity, which I'm pumped on.
1: So uh, September 1st, you're going to be ready to throw open the doors? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. <sighs> we are We are running low on time, which means that it is time for the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Are there ever any easy questions? <laughs> yeah. I never have a short answer either. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do our best uh, for, the sake of, for the sake of producer Michael, who has to edit this stuff after we're done. Um, Nick, I'm going to start with you. What's the first restaurant you ever worked at?
0: The first restaurant I worked at was Mencia's in Kingwood, Texas. I was a delivery boy.
3: <laughs> Chris? Uh Fuji, Japanese uh cuisine, Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: Your first concert.
0: Ooh. Garth Brooks, Toyota Center. Or no, Summit, sorry. At the Summit.
3: <laughs> Daryl Hall and John Oates. <laughs> I was in sixth grade, so that was probably what eighty <laughs> two? Uh
1: your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present?
3: Craig Vigio. Done. I mean I guess I answered Whitney? <laughs> I mean, answer.
1: Whitney Good. Merciless is your business partner, so that's probably the. Spot that's a layup. Right? Well, it's, 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 it's not, <laughs> I mean,
3: but that's the guy that I've watched every day, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah,
1: the uh, best new Houston restaurant you've tried in the last few months,
0: man. All of them. I'm trying to think of what we've had lately.
3: Um, you, you know, I, it's just something that's always biased, but Tatsuya Ramen Tatsuya because um, we go eat there a
0: lot a lot it's right down the road from us
1: you know and i've heard from people that work there that they that is not taken off the way that they no,
3: it's not austin right i mean nobody stands in line for four hours you know <laughs> for a bowl of hot soup you know? <laughs> <laughs> we're a pho bay city but um I, th- I think what they're doing over there is it's really delicious and very true to what it's supposed to be and so i, I really like that a lot I mean, I guess what else is what else is? I don't get out a lot.
0: I'm really bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna call the baby card on this one. I have a six month <laughs> old baby, so I, I'm either at work or I'm uh I'm taking care of a little
1: Lottie monster. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, and then finally, what's your favorite place to get a taco? Tierra caliente, hundred
3: percent. Yeah, I don't. Is there another taco?
0: Plus, that place has it set up too, in the sense that. I'll take tacos to go, but then it's next to Alabama Ice House, which is super fun, too, and I'll crush anybody at the washer string hangy game they have. <laughs> <laughs> what is that <it> not surprising? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Chira is, yeah is the correct answer. Yeah.
1: All right. Gentlemen, thank you. Nick Fine, we can follow you on Instagram at oso underscore Blanco.
0: Oso Blanco 31.
1: Oso Blanco 31, and, of course, Chris, we can follow you on both Twitter and Instagram at cshepard13, onefifthhouston.com. It's got a countdown that tells you when the new restaurant is going to open. Romance languages coming much, much sooner than I think either of these gentlemen are. <laughs> <like it>
3: <laughs> I don't think anything's ever ready, you know. So,
1: uh, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter at e sandler on Instagram at eric sandler. Keep it locked on Culture Map for all the latest bar and restaurant news. The show is now on Google Play, so you can subscribe that way. We always appreciate your comments and your ratings, but like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars, and only if it's nice. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We do that.